On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Dr. Becca Stearns, who is out at the Corey Stringer Institute. On this episode, we talk about the Tufts program, which I was familiar with, but didn't know the breadth and the depth of what they do, so we get into all of that, and then also how kind of really well-timed and hopefully productive the next couple weeks to months will be out in California uh, with new legislation being introduced uh, to get licensure for athletic trainers out there, uh, Corey Stringer Institute and the Tufts program going out there to help aid in that through education and trying to make sure that these programs and initiatives are getting put in to help protect the safety of student athletes and athletes in general out there. So a lot of interesting things, great timing correlating on this. Uh, as we talked about at the end of the episode, this was recorded in late February, uh, so right around March uh, when we'll be of 2023 when this is all happening. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Check them out for all your sports medicine needs. Their new Revive uh, pneumatic compression product is fantastic and really uh, affordable and competitive and really backed by science. We had a great conversation with Lawrence White on that, so please go back and check that out. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Dr. Uh, Becca Stearns of the Corey Stringer Institute, and we are going to talk about the Tufts Project, or the Team Up for Sports Safety. I want to make sure I get that correct. A lot of things that they do, and we're going to talk about that, but really we're going to try and focus on this push um, in California to get state licensure, uh, and I'm sure Becca will go into some of the reasons for that as um, if you're on social media, especially around AT Twitter, there's definitely been some things over the past year or so that have highlighted the need for that. Um, But before we get into all of those things, I just wanted to turn it over to you to kind of fill in your background um, and then we'll jump into maybe kind of the first one as you're explaining everything of what exactly the Tufts project is and then we'll take it from there. Sure. Sounds great. Yeah. And, And thank you so much for having me today. So um, as you said, I'm Becca Stearns. I do. I am the COO of the Corey Stringer Institute. I've actually been with the Corey Stringer Institute ever since we opened in 2010. And so my background is in athletic training. I did work at the secondary school level for a little while and um, is, have also worked um, at many mass medical tent events as well. Um, my day-to-day job, again, is at Corey Stringer Institute. And so I Um, really work on the projects that drive our main mission and goals. And so um, our our mission is to um, prevent sudden death in sport, enhance uh, performance for the athlete, warfighter, and laborer, right? So um, I know that because of our namesake and because of um, many of the uh, populations that we work with, um, a lot of it can seem that we focus on sport, but we do encompass all those other areas um, that athletic trainers work and also uh, experience similar catastrophic injuries that we see in sport too. So we were founded in 2010. I've been with KSF ever since then. And the Tufts program is um, a, an initiative that I work a lot on. It, it encompasses a lot of the work that I do on a day-to-day basis. 
and um, it was formally started in um, 2018 is when we really started our first full year of visits. But I know we'll get into that in more detail. Um, so, so I'll hold off on the rest of that for now. Um, so yeah, I guess really trying to go into that right off the bat is sure. just exactly what is it, how did it get started and what is the aim that it has on the, you know, to have a positive impact, you know, in sports and the athletic training profession. So, um, as I said, it, and as you described, it's team up for sports safety and it's termed that because really the impetus behind this project is that we wanted to propel uh, policy adoption forward specifically for those policies that have been proven to reduce catastrophic injury in sport. We are sponsored by the NATA and also the NFL. Um, they've invested grant dollars to help ensure that we are able to do these state visits. And that's really how we approach this project is going state to state and working with the stakeholders within each of those states to try to identify gaps in current enacted uh, policy and regulations and to try to close those gaps so that we can ensure that basic health and safety and best practices are in place to protect all athletes in regards to the potential risk for catastrophic injuries. And so, um, as I said, we started this in 2018. I would say uh, truly though, the work behind this was laid when we first had our um, position statement from the NATA. So in 2012 and 2013, a couple of position statements came out from the NATA related to preventing sudden death in sport. Um, there was a global one, there was one specific for high school, secondary school athletes, and also a collegiate one. And that was really the first time um, that the best practices specific to these catastrophic injuries were really held under one document. And so it really compiled all of that and put it put it forth in, in best practices. And so from those best practices, we've moved forward to try to ensure, again, that those basic health and safety measures are available to the high school athletes. Of course, we have almost 8 million high school athletes in the United States. And um, generally, uh, you know, if you look and compare those athletes and the resources and what's available to them to the higher levels of sport in uh, the NCAA and also the professional level, we know that they're under-resourced in comparison, right? Um, but we don't believe that when it comes to potentially life-threatening issues that you still shouldn't have those protections in place for athletes. So um, so that's really where the uh, initiative came from and kind of the focus of it. We really focus on the top four causes of sudden death in sport because 90% of the deaths that we do see originate from those four causes being sudden cardiac arrest, exertional sickling, heat stroke, and head and neck injuries. So those four make up about 90% of the deaths that we see. And so of course the uh, we think that it's a really efficient use of our time to focus on those causes so that we can affect that 90%. And then we also focus on all of the, what I would say, supporting structure around that. So we talk about emergency action plans, because of course that would help enact all of the best practices around all four of those conditions. We talk about pre-participation exams, access to athletic training services, other coordination with um, other medical professionals. So all of those items, um, come together to try to, again, close those gaps and ensure that athletes are getting the best protections possible. Perfect. Thanks for that explanation. Just to kind of sum it all up, because I think, you know, even for me, I was aware of everything kind of KSI was doing, but just within the, the specifics of this project, it's mm -hmm. perfect. So 
Uh, thank you for that. Somewhat shifting, and we'll say this is, you know, California and licensure um, Tufts, we were just kind of chatting before we hit record about that meeting coming up and everything around it. So can you just kind of maybe give a sum up of what you all are looking to do in California and help out? And obviously that's been a hot topic for a long time um, in the athletic training profession and just what that looks like. And then we'll maybe have some specifics that we're that you guys are looking to go and hopefully help address here in the near future. Sure. So um, I should say we have been to 30 states to date. So um, we are officially through the halfway mark on the project. Nice. And as we open up 2023, and I think appropriately as we enter um, March for Athletic Training Month here, uh, our, our first visit is going to be to California. Um, and so we were in California last year. We are going back this year. California is really important for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, certainly, as we're talking about now, uh, we know that athletic training licensure doesn't exist in the state of California. So anyone can go to California and claim to be an athletic trainer and work as in the profession of athletic training in California. Um, but California is also just massive in that it's usually has the highest or second highest number of high school athletes in the, within the state itself. For sure. So, so between California and Texas, um, there's there's just the largest number of high school athletes that we know of in any other state. So when we talk about health and safety in California, we're just we're talking about a much greater percentage of the high school athletes and the protections that are afforded to them. So um, so in California, this year is uh, uh, special as we head back because we're entering a new legislative session for the state of California. And if uh, anyone was active on Twitter, you may have seen the exciting announcement is that there is a bill that's being put forth and we have an author within the legislature for um, California athletic training licensure. So in terms of how we look at this and how this relates to the Tufts project, I didn't mention licensure on that list of things I was talking about earlier, but you know, as everyone knows here, all there's 49 other states that have regulations in place athletic yeah. trainers so Cal this is unique to california right but we look at licensure in california as um something that is really kind of a critical um parallel and synergistic step that needs to be taken to really accomplish and have the impact that we're looking to have with the tufts program right so we're talking about health and safety measures in california certainly athletic training services is one of those and a lot of the health and safety uh, policies and procedures we talk about are enabled, enacted, or implemented by athletic trainers, right? So not having licensure really does limit the impact, not only that the Tufts projects can have, but also um, is is a big priority for the athletic training profession in general, right? Absolutely. In uh, kind of looking at things that you've seen, you know, with the barriers to licensure, is that something that you all have had, you know, specific connection with or in communication with people out there to help assist with and kind of what have been those historical barriers? Yeah. Um, you know, certainly we are located within Connecticut, so we don't have that on the boots on the ground <laughs> perspective, but literally almost couldn't be further. huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're hoping again, that this project can help because again, of the focus and the goals of the Tufts project, can help to also propel forward the momentum and the efforts being put forth through 
the California Athletic Training Association and the NATA as they are trying to, as, as they are introducing this bill for AT licensure in California and, and pushing that forward. So we, again, we just see these as very synergistic. So I think historically, um, the, the good news historically is that it's made its way to the gov governor's desk three times previously. So oh, it's gotten wow. housed by yeah, yeah. So it's gotten passed by both sides, the Senate and the House, three times, and it's made its way to the governor's desk, which is really that final signature that you need. Um, and it was up right before COVID hit. I and of course, uh, when that happened, um, I think it got pushed off because of everything else that we were dealing with at that time. And so I'm I'm optimistic. There's obviously no guarantees. There's a long path ahead of us, but um, I'm hopeful that the state that we're in at this point, we can continue that momentum and and push it across the finish line this time. And we're just really trying to to do everything we can to help support that and uh, and make it happen. Yeah. So one of the questions I had, you know, is there any kind of new or unique approaches to, you know, to work around some of these barriers, which sounds like, again, uh, just learning something about how it's been very, very close before, but maybe just not quite gotten there is the focus from your standpoint and Tufts and KSI of highlighting the educational purpose and then just really kind of telling that story of why it's so important and how, you know, so many of these boxes, if you will, this is going to sound too simplistic, get checked by, you know, really regulating this and then kind of everything else can hopefully fall in line. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a great point. And I think, um, it, you know, I, it previously, I think the perception was that, you know, uh, athletic training licensure would mean that um, we would overstep our educational boundaries, right? It, sure. it would go beyond what we are educated to do and how we're able to practice, right? Um, and that it might um, overstep into some other professional bounds as well, who I, who I think we're worried about um, maybe positions or employment being taken from those professions, right? I think those are generally the biggest barriers that we've seen in the past in terms of uh, the narrative uh, that has come out. But what I what I think um, this conversation can have is a great opportunity for education about what truly licensure means for athletic training in any medical profession, really, right? Um, all the other major medical professions in California are going to be regulated at some level. Mm -hmm. um, in 49 other states, we have regulation of athletic trainers. And I think one of the things we've seen recently is um, that when you don't have regulation um, for a profession, and specifically, obviously, it, it really matters when you're talking about medical professionals, um, anyone can claim to be uh, qualified for that position. So uh, not only do you risk... Uh, violations when it comes to medical practices, right? Or the health and safety of an athlete. Um, you also risk ethical violations that then have no repercussions because you don't have regulation and you don't have the power to then take away the ability for that person to practice, right? So um, I, I really think when we talk about licensure for athletic trainers, we're really only talking to uh, enhancing the health and safety for the athlete. It really benefits the athlete. And I think that's where the focus should go when we talk about regulating the profession of athletic trainers. So we've seen um, a lot of uh, individuals uh, claiming to be and working under the title of athletic trainer who do not have that certification or education. And um, there's either a breach of um, appropriate medical care for an athlete, or there's 
some misconduct that occurs that's unrelated to medical care. And the problem that we're faced when those scenarios happen is there's no ability to prohibit that person from going back and introducing themselves or injuring further athletes, right? Mm. As we don't have regulation of that, of our, of our profession there. And I, so that's why I go back to the idea of it's really about pr protecting the athlete at the end of the day and making sure that we're regulating who has contact with that athlete and that they have the appropriate education and care to do that. We're, there's nothing in the bill that would say that we would be working outside of our educational competencies, right? So clearly right. we have very clear regulations and um, uh, requirements before you get your certification in terms of what you've been educated on, the competencies that are required. And so and so it, it clearly states within the, the bill here that um, we would work within those educational competencies. Appreciate the insight on that. Uh, just looking at a lot of things, you know, uh, we were talking again previously, you know, the media push on around a lot of this, um, the meeting, you know, the Tufts and, you know, the collaboration with the NFL, uh, the Rams, and obviously the California Athletic Trainers Association. And then again, just kind of even more background for that you had of being with KSI since the beginning, you know, when everything started. Could you talk a little bit, you know, of how you've connected and partnered with, you know, these large and seemingly influential and powerful um, partners, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, but, you know, what that looks like and even some different maybe takeaways or, you know, if ATs are trying to look at different things within their state um, to help with either pushing forward better um, practices or, you know, with license laws, I always practice acts kind of trying to change a little bit to, you know, continue to make sure that ATs are still practicing with their realm, but expanding that realm a little bit more to just an athletes. If you wouldn't mind kind of talking about that broadly. Sorry for that really, really long question. <laughs> yeah. So I'll try to, I'll try to uh, concisely respond to that if I can. So yeah, um, I can also ask the other parts of it as you get going again. So. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So first I would say, um, as we launched into the Tufts program, the NFL and NATA were already partners with the Corey Stringer Institute. Sure. So I think, um, essentially they were involved at the very ground level when we first started this, this project and they saw the initiative, they saw the goals and purpose of it, and they wanted to jump on board and be supportive of that. And the funding from the NATA and also the NFL is what allows us to go to the States. So when we go to a state, um, we are, um, we are very targeted and specific in terms of the individuals we want to have in the room. Cause again, we're looking for individuals who have sway and influence and decision-making power. And also um, we want the feedback from the individuals in the room who are going to be impacted by these policies as well. So we pull all of, the, all of them into the room um, and, um, and the funding that we've received from the NFL and NIT has allowed us to, to execute all of these meetings. So, um, so I would say that's really, uh, how we've gotten involved and then certainly the natural connections and collaborations through the various entities that they have, um, have also been supportive. So uh, our meeting in California is going to be in the LA area. And so being that um, the LA Rams are right there um, and uh, they are also very aware of the AT licensure within their own state and supportive of many of the other things um, that we were doing, they've been incredibly gracious in helping to support us in pulling this together as well. 
for a lot of those kind of instances, obviously, I'm guessing you reach out, you know, to the athletic training staff that works, you know, with the Rams and then it is it connections through there that help bring you to, you know, more of the organize, organization at large. Cause mm -hmm. I'm guessing most athletic trainers that are, you know, are supportive of this, but then getting the people, you know, that you said that have that influence and that sway to also understand that, is that generally how you've been able to make, you know, put those together and get that increased buy-in? Yeah, I, I do have to say that the states that we visit and when we see a lot of momentum happening in a state and um, when we see a lot of success occur, um, a large majority of the time, I'm not going to say it's the only, I can only credit the athletic trainers, but <laughs> truly the people on the ground making things happen. Um, a lot of the time it's the athletic trainers that are driving it within the state. And so that's why, um, yes, it's our natural connectivity, right? Um, I'm an athletic trainer. Most of our staff are athletic trainers. Um, it's funded through the NITA. Um, and so, uh, so that's always our initial go-to. We always try to connect with the leadership within the states um, for the athletic training association to help pull those people in. But then we work collaboratively. Of course, athletic trainers have all these great natural connections as well, just through their, their day-to-day -day work. So connections with the state high school association and the advising sports medicine advisory committees, the, um, the physicians within the state, EMS, nurses, coaches, superintendents, athletic directors. Um, if we're going a legislative route, then we do want to pull in those legislators as well. And maybe there's previous work that they've done. Um, pretty much every, uh, <clears throat> I think every state has, um, kind of a, a governmental affairs liaison, right? And that they uh, can work with. And there's programs through the NITA that you can use to help with any legislative initiatives too. So those are all huge connections for us. And um, what we found is that uh, this meeting has really just allowed those entities to come together under one mission and goal and discuss that on site with a very focused, um, targeted uh, topics. And, uh, and, and that's really what allows that progress to occur, right? We're trying to propel it forward faster. Mm -hmm. And so when you have all those entities in a room and you have those really targeted conversations, I think that's, um, that's what's made the program successful. And um, I have to credit the athletic trainers in the States. And so um, it, you really need like a few drivers, you know, really sure. passionate people in the room. And so, you know, the state um, presidents or, or the, uh, or the directors and or you know the other people in the room that help um that take on those roles and leadership positions within their state so i mean that is um a credit to uh these volunteer positions that these athletic trainers have taken on and helped to propel this forward it's really the work that they are doing that has really enabled us to be so so successful absolutely Mm -hmm. um, kind of tying into some more of that, you know, you mentioned you guys have been to 30 states uh, over halfway there. I'm guessing some have gone better than others just in terms of things, but have you found what, you know, is in quotes most um, effective in trying to work on these either legislative efforts or working with um, state um, athletic associations in terms of identifying things and making positive change? Uh, that you guys have, you know, kind of have a game plan slash playbook of it. I don't, you know, but things that you've found that have been most effective in working with these groups. Yeah, that's a great question because you outline the 
the two main models that we see in terms of where policy adoption can occur, right? right? And so when we talk about policy adoption, we're looking at a level that's beyond recommendation, right? We're looking at things that are required or mandated through the state. Mm -hmm. And so we thought that that was a level of scrutiny that was the only way to ensure uh, equal access to those health and safety policies for all athletes, right? So that's that's kind of the level that we were looking for. And so you typically see that either through the state high school association route, um, they create policies for um, all other aspects of participation in sport programs for their state, right? So um, anything that relates to the officials on the field, to practices and games when they start, protect, you know, all that stuff that goes into it. So that's usually a component of the state high school association and, um, or you can go the route of uh, legislation, right? And so what I'll say is um, every state is unique. They all come with their own sure. uh, resources. They all come with their own barriers. They all come with a different mix of interests and um, initiatives that they already have going on. So we really try to work with the state for what works best with them. And I think that's why this individualized approach has been success successful in, in, in accomplishing that. So um, sometimes, you know, there's something that... Uh, that needs to go the legislative route um, based on um, either maybe financial or other uh, factors that it incorporates, right? Um, but generally, what we love about the State High School Association is that they're already regulating high school athletes, mm -hmm. and they already have a sports medicine advisory committee. So they already have the experts who can advise them on what makes sense for health and safety, right? So you want that expertise and that insight you don't want um, people with no medical background making those medical decisions and those policies. So that's why it's so natural to have the state association in that position. Um, and usually it's um, every, again, every state is different. The process of getting those policies in place usually goes through a committee, it gets voted on um, and, uh, and eventually gets put into place. And that's usually, I'll say usually an easier route than going through legislation, right? Legislation sure. um, takes a lot longer, um, takes a lot more investment money. Um, so it's a lot of smaller states might not have a lobbyist. So um, that's a lot harder when, again, you have a, a state athletic training president looking to try to put a bill through, right? So um, it's all depends on the state <laughs> and we try to work with what's at their disposal. Yeah. That makes sense, and I can imagine gets very interesting from time to time. Yeah. Uh, just kind of looking through it, we covered quite a bit in a short amount of time, but anything about Tufts that we didn't cover or in specifically, you know, kind of California that you wanted to touch on uh, before we jump into the athletic training chat questions? Um, you know, I think... Uh... What I would say is, yes, we've been to 30 states so far. Um, we are planning to to visit the remaining ones. So if we haven't been to your state and you want to be involved or, um, you know, if you want to start a meeting, if you're one of those leader, if you're in one of those leadership positions and we haven't been to your state, feel free to reach out to me um, because we, uh, we want to come and we are going to be planning a meeting at some point. And uh, so um, feel free to reach out if... Uh, if you want to get involved, um, I would say to the other athletic trainers, you know, like I was just saying, if um, 
if you like the sound of this work, you know, don't be shy. These are one of the opportunities for you to be involved on your state level and to make a bigger impact if that interests you, right? So um, like, I, like I said, we go to those state leadership positions um, <clears throat> when we go to a state and those are the people we lean on when we come into one. So um, I think we covered most of the other items related to Tufts, you know, but um, this is an, I'll just say this is an ongoing project. You know, we've been at it for uh, years now since 2018 and um, we still have a little bit to go and uh, we are always trying to provide uh, resources and tools uh, to make it easier to make it better so um, what I always say to states after we leave is um, you know keep in touch keep us in the loop and if we can provide something to make it easier better more efficient then we want to give that to you we want to make this process as easy as possible so there's a lot of tools and resources, not only on our website, but on a lot of actually other websites from the states that have been able to accomplish this. Oh, so for sure. um, hopefully we make this much more of a manageable process, right? And and decrease some of those barriers. So um, always reach out. <laughs> we just want to make it easier. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just want to echo something you said in terms of getting involved. I know sometimes there becomes some chatter, you know, how to, you know, making change and not being able to get involved. I'm speaking solely for the state of Wisconsin, but I got to imagine it's like this in a lot of other states. If it's not a board position, which just knowing us, like we have a person apply, so it's kind of by default. There's So there's opportunity there, but there's committees that are committees of one that aren't meant to be, uh, you know, governmental affairs, you know, the, some of the PR stuff. There, there's probably an opportunity, and especially if you're listening in the state of Wisconsin, please let us know. Uh, but to get involved in one way or the other. So if this is something and you really, you know, again, just on looking at what we have for us, like you can really get as much out of it as you want to put into it because there is that need for people to volunteer. So uh, that is an interest to you. Take advantage of it, you know, reach out to your board. If they don't respond right away. I know sometimes those emails don't get checked as often as they should reach out again. Uh, it's well worth it because they definitely want you to be a part of it. Um, and again, just speaking from firsthand experience. So uh, mm -hmm. just I wanted to echo that out there. That's great. Love it. Um, so with that, uh, we can jump into the athletic training chat questions. Mm -hmm. uh, first one um, is where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? And feel free to, you know, if you want to talk about one specific setting or just the broader profession, I, I leave that up to you. Yes. So it's a big one. And um, yes. <laughs> I, I love that you open with like the big question right now and and not like the small question in our profession, but uh, it's certainly a um, very hot topic, I would say right now in terms yeah. of our athletic training profession. There's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of ideas out there. Um, and so, you know, uh, I think, I, I think if anybody's in the social media world at all, I don't think this is a controversial statement, but I think that we're going through a transitional period right now. That's what I'm going to call it for our profession, right? Um, it's never going to be smooth. It's never going to be easy. But I do think um, that in general, uh, you know, we are trying to improve the position of the athletic training profession. And I think that's a worthy goal, right, of trying to make it better. Um, you know, we're doing that in California with licensure right now. Um, that's like something that... Um, hits you know closer to me when I'm talking about this sort of answer to this question here right mm -hmm. so my hope is that um you know in the next five to ten years we definitely have 
licensure in every state. So I think, uh, you know, we're talking about California, but New York and also South Carolina right now have certifications right now, and they're not technically under licensure. So I, if you're watching, you'll also see, I know that there's efforts for both of those states to go the licensure route as well. So my hope is that we would see licensure in all of the states in the next five to 10 years. Um, I also hope, um, again, these are things that we're trying to uh, specifically accomplish with the work that I'm focused on every day is that um, is that we will see uh, more athletic trainers um, reaching the high school levels um, in the next five to 10 years, right? <clears throat> so uh, we know through the Atlas data set, um, and so I'm going to do a quick shout out to all those high school athletic trainers that fill out those surveys. If you haven't filled it out in the last three years, please go renew your survey, update mm -hmm. it so we know what's going on. Um, but we know through the Atlas survey that uh, over 30% of the high schools don't have any access to an athletic trainer, right? That's a huge proportion of the 8 million athletes that we have. So um, my hope is that we see that number continue to um, drop and that the access to athletic trainers continues to increase. Right. And then obviously, um, my hope is that the work that we're doing through Tufts, um, while it's directly through policies and um, and health and safety initiatives that are meant to directly impact the athletes, I hope that that is also seen as a support structure for athletic trainers. And that um, as we get these policies in place, I'm hoping that what athletic trainers feel is less uh, conversations and battles over what does or does not need to happen, right? Because we're going to put some of these best practice places, uh, best practice policies into place, and they're simply going to be standards at that point, right? So we don't need to um, debate whether or not uh, we're going to do a heat acclimatization program in the preseason period. It'll just be in place, right? Right. So we have to follow it. So hopefully that is supporting all the athletic trainers out there um, in helping to enact those those health and safety policies. Awesome. What advice would you go and give yourself as a young athletic trainer? And if you could kind of set, you know, what period of your career that would be in? Yes. So this is a tough one because I kind of have a couple different lives as an athletic trainer, right? Sure. <laughs> I had my early clinical years in the high school and also my professional years more on the um, the research side, right? The, in the uh, grant and, um, and uh, all the work that we do through the Corey Stringer Institute. But I think something that would potentially transcend all of those uh, positions would be... Um, kind of uh, don't be afraid to speak up and uh, and make those collaboration and connections um, to see where uh, there are either people or resources to help you, right? Um, I, you know, I, I feel like there's always somebody out there who's been, who's gone through what you're trying to achieve sure. or something similar, right? Maybe yep. not the exact same thing, but they're, um, the thing I love about the athletic training profession is that um, we are a great group of people in general. And I think if you just ask, I think you'll find that there's a lot more um, support and or items that already exist out there that can help you through anything that you're trying to uh, to get through at that point. I like it. What has been the most influential resource that you have found in your career? Ooh, uh, 
I would say great mentors. Yep, colleagues and mentors. Yep. So I know that's a, that was a very short, <laughs> quick answer. Oh, but, perfect. Um, I think that those are some of the most influential people on you and some of the most um, important people in terms of uh, helping to guide you uh, when you hit like a, a path and you're trying to make important decisions about which which direction you might take. Absolutely. Next one, as an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Especially with traveling around the country quite frequently. <laughs> so um, I agree that this is a really important question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, I can't remember who brought it up, but we started it about halfway through and it's it's been a very fruitful one, if you will. Yes. Yeah, I love it. So um, yeah, to avoid all the negative things that happen when you don't take care of yourself, right? Um, I think it's very clear if we if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be taking care of our our populations and our patients, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so uh, yes, I do travel a lot. One of the I inherently enjoy travel, but when I do travel, we always try to uh, find the joy in traveling and finding something new and appreciating the um, opportunity to be someplace that I haven't been before, right? So I inherently am grateful and appreciate that. And I always try to um, to uh, to make sure that I, I never forget those things, right? And that I appreciate them. But of course, um, inherently, I'm also uh, interested in athletics and sports. I was a runner my whole life. And so um, I really appreciate being able to get outside, exercise, run. Um, I've done seven marathons in my lifetime to date. So I have a few more to check off, but... Jeez. So, um, so I do love and appreciate running, trail running, especially, um, and just kind of being outside. So I think those are the things I love to do that um, really help revitalize and uh, refresh me. Awesome. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, or whatever it is of your choosing in the field or profession of athletic training, what would it be? Yep, this is a tough one, um, but it's good. I love I love the questions. So, and I did think about this, and uh, I immediately went to mindset. But then I felt that um, my mindset uh, that I was thinking of was really a, a wider culture mindset. And so I'll tell you two things, I guess. Um, Perfect. One uh, mindset was, um, and again, this is reflective of the work we're trying to achieve. Is that um, one of the hardest things we run into is when we're talking about health and safety policies is the mindset that just because it hasn't happened, um, doesn't mean that it's not going to, or that the risk isn't present. Right. Um, I'm not saying, and that's, I'm a little hesitant on this one only because I don't think that that's necessarily reflective of athletic trainers. Right. That's sure. That's sure. just, that's kind of just what I'm up against in general, in terms of trying to get these best practices in place. Right. It makes complete sense. Yeah. So, um, so just in terms of what we, what we work with on a day-to-day -day basis and, and what you, uh, we can see, that is a, just a mindset that's sometimes really tough to overcome. Um, and so I would definitely change that in a heartbeat because I think it would make everything so much easier. For sure. But, um, but also, uh, if I could change one thing in the field of athletic training, I'm going to maybe work a little bit outside of the bounds of your question. Um, 
I think uh, it would be having access to all of the um, resources and tools and equipment that we need to address catastrophic injury in sport. So um, it's not eliminating anything. It's actually introducing more things. No, but, I, uh, it could be changing would, the practice of not having all yes, of the necessary tools yeah. that you need. There you go. So I'd want every athletic trainer to have a sufficient number of AEDs. I'd want every athletic trainer to have a cold water immersion tub and uh, WBGT. Uh, so, so I'd want athletic trainers to be fully resourced when it comes to saving a life. Um, ultimately, that uh, is what drives me every day is making sure that every athlete makes it home at the end of the day. Awesome. I think that's a perfect one. And I, I like the framing of that. Absolutely. Uh, last question is what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Mm. And this is a big one too. Maybe I should, I, I misspoke earlier when I said it was the biggest one. <laughs> this is the big one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I'm going to have a, the perfect or eloquent answer to this because I didn't script it out. So, uh, it's you'll right. have to excuse me on that one. Not at all. Um, but I think being an athletic trainer to me means being an, uh, an advocate for your patients and also for our profession. Um, that's as simply as I can put it, right? Um, we do so much for so many different populations, so many different people. Um, and so I think uh, the work we do is, is really impactful, really important. Um, and so I think the, the best way we can do that and what really defines us is um, us advocating and doing that work for our athletes, but then also for our profession. Yeah. I think that was well said and uh, very concise, which I, is also hard to do with that big of a question. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, before we kind of just fully wrap up, anything else you wanted to share um, or, you know, a call to action for anybody that might be listening? Oh, um another question that might not have fully been prepared. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I kind of threw that one in at the end. That's my bad. No, I just, um, you know, uh, in general, what I will just say, um, as, uh, just the work that we do at the Corey Stringer Institute, especially to young athletic trainers out there who may be establishing themselves or, um, <clears throat> maybe establishing a, a new position at a new high school, hopefully as we get mm -hmm. the athletic trainers into those positions. Um, we are here as a resource. We're here um, to provide education, resources, tools, um, connection points. Um, the great thing about traveling to 30 different states is having made connections in 30 different states and I, sure. identifying a lot of the leaders within those yeah. states and who who's working on what and who's been through what, you know. So um, so I would just say, you know, um, I hope that um, if you're not familiar with the Corey Stringer Institute, you go and you check check out the things that we're working on, check out our website to see if there's a way that we can either facilitate or help you, or if you want to get involved. Um, I think those would be the biggest things I would leave everyone with today. Awesome. And then the final one, it's not too much of a gotcha. It's just if people wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that or follow along? Uh, we'll link all the Corey Stringer Institute stuff up in there. Absolutely. But I'm uh, talking to you more specifically, if there's a best way. Sure. So uh, clearly, uh, I'm available through the Corey Stringer Institute website, right? KSI.uconn.edu. Um, Twitter, of course, at Becca Stearns. 
Um, those are probably the best ways to reach me. Yep. Awesome. Well, with that, thank you very much for taking the time and filling us in on Tufts and then also everything that's going on with California. Uh, just for everybody's context, now that you've listened to this whole thing, we recorded this in late February, so it, it'll be around everything that's happening in March. So uh, just a little bit of context there if you're listening to it way down the line. But thank you again uh, for being on and sharing everything uh, that you're doing. And thank you for all the work that you are doing. And we look forward to seeing what happens with everything. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode with Dr. Becca Stearns of Course Turner Institute. Obviously, she's out there trying to do whatever she can to help ensure the safety of all the athletes that are impacted in high school sports and beyond. Uh, it is really awe-inspiring to see what they're doing and the impact they're able to have. And really, just in a considerably short amount of time, even though it has been a while, but really, really impactful. Um, as always, we want to thank Miller for supporting us and the profession and partnering up with our Throw a Lifeline program. If you want to head over to clinicdepressed.org, you can learn more about that. Donate, nominate, apply if you need some basic health care materials that for whatever reason you can't get a hold of through your current budgetary process or whatever the means are. As soon as we hit our goal of about $175 to fill the kit, Mueller donates the kit to the person uh, to correspond with it all. So with that, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll hopefully see you at the next episode and enjoy National Athletic Training Month.